Congratulations. If you didn't know, we've got a new engaged couple in the church. Emily and Parker. It's Facebook official, so it must have been real, right? It's good to know. It's great. It's good. You know, life continues. At least somebody's excited about 2022, right? Exactly, right? You know? No, it's, uh, it's good. God is good to us. He uh, gives us relationship with one another and with him. Uh, and sometimes he uh, allows us to have that sweet, special someone who is in our life, who we journey together with for decades and uh, get to enjoy the fruit of that intimate relationship that is a mirror, an image, if you will, of what we have with Jesus as well. Uh, recognizing again that our loneliness doesn't go away because we have someone special to share life with, but our loneliness goes away when we realize that the one who is special is with us, and uh, we have that intimate relationship with him. And so enjoy your guys' time together, exciting year for you, and uh, be praying for you as you prepare for that uh, big day and then the years beyond. So thank you for allowing us to share that a little bit with you today. So... Um, our vision statement uh, is on these little cards. I don't know if they're in the seat backs anymore. Uh, they're out in the fellowship hall. If you don't have one, you want to grab one, you can. Uh, these are great. Actually, I got an email from the guy who kind of inspired these cards uh, this last week. His name is Steve Martins. Uh, and uh, Steve Martin, you know, my favorite actor. Uh, anyway, uh, but uh, he, uh, him and his wife, Kathy, with our, our church for a short period of time. And uh, during that time, we came up with this new vision statement. And he had this idea for the card. And anyway, put it together, threw it my way, and yeah, th this is it. But I want to start this message off with uh, kind of a review of that as well, just to remind us of who we are as a church. We believe uh, that the focal point of all of life, our mission, if you will, is Jesus. That, that is the focal point of our life. That's where we need to all be zeroing our attention and our focus. It's not about evangelizing the world. That's not our mission. That is something that we do with Jesus. That's Jesus' mission, and we join him in that. But our individual mission and our mission as a church is to seek and to know and to enjoy Jesus. And so that is what our vision statement says, that we are a community that have gathered together to fully enjoy our relationship with Jesus. And again, fully enjoy what we already have. It is not something we have to try to get so sanctification is not our job to try to, you know, make it happen. It's Jesus' job, and he accomplished it all on the cross. Not just our salvation, but also our sanctification. And so as we live our life, it's not about trying to uh, accomplish righteousness. It's not about trying to get near God. It's about enjoying the nearness of God. It's about enjoying the righteousness of Jesus as we, as he helps us to live out that righteousness. And so uh, we focus on that this year and every year, that Jesus would be the reason, not just for the season, but for our entire life, that everything that we do is centered on him. And I would encourage you uh, this year on the back of this vision card, again, if you don't have one, grab one in the back uh, in the fellowship hall, but on the back of the card are three questions that I encourage all of us to ask every year at the annual celebration in December. Uh, I went through this, but I'll do it again if you didn't see that or if you did see it, just a reminder. Ask the three questions on the back. How can we, what is God, what is Jesus calling us to do in 2022? Every year we should ask this. Matter of fact, I think we should do it every day. 
We wake up in the morning. We say, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Uh, yeah, I know we have our schedule. Yeah, I know we have our things that we have to accomplish, our tasks to, you know, the, you know, check those boxes off. But every morning when we wake up, the first question that should be on our mind is, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? And so at the very least, we need to do this on an annual basis in regards to our spiritual practices. What are the things that we're doing? Reading scripture, spending time in prayer, ministries that we're involved in. We should never just get in the habit of just doing it every year because that's what I've always done. We should always go to Jesus and say, Jesus, do you want me to continue or is there something new you want me to do? This year, he, I feel like he's calling me to do something that I've tried to do in the past and have failed miserably at. And I don't like it. He's calling me to this again. But uh, he's calling me to journal. Do some journaling this, uh, this year. I, I'm not good at that. I, I like, I've enjoyed beginning to write in different ways, but journaling has never, literally, I bought a journal about ah, 20 years ago. And it's got like about 10 pages filled on it, right? Like over 20 years. That's how much I journal. Literally, I just don't do it. I can't do it. I've never, I've always struggled with it, but God has called me to, to, to practice it. And so I'm going to rely on him. I'm not going to do it under my own self-discipline and strength. Every morning, I'm going to wake up and say, Jesus, you want me to journal? So you got to help me to do this. And so, and see what he has for me in that. I don't know. Uh, again, I, I look at it and I go, eh, what's the big deal? But I'm trusting that because he's calling me to it, that he's got a blessing in it for me, that it's for my good, because he is a good, good God. Amen? Amen. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, take a look at this. Ask the questions. Listen. What is he telling you to do? What is he asking you to add into your life? What is he asking you to take out of your life? Whatever it is, trust him and follow him in that. Not thinking, oh, I can't do that, or how am I going to discipline myself to do that? No, just saying, okay, you're calling me. Jesus, you got to help me to make this happen. And trust him in that. It's because of this vision, I think in part, and maybe in large part, that I'm excited about the 40 days of prayer that the Alliance has drawn us to and the theme of reawakening to Christ. Because it's near and dear to my heart that Christ would be the focus of all of my life, that everything that I do is zeroed in on him. And so for the Alliance to start that way and to kick off this new year that way, I think is great because it refocuses again. It's an opportunity to refocus our attention on Jesus. It's an opportunity to reawaken our heart for Jesus. And it is my hope that it will help us to more fully enjoy the relationship that we already have with Jesus. The purpose or the reason that Jesus uh, is the focus is because he is at the center of everything. Jesus is at the center of all of life. In Acts 17, we read a couple of these verses, but let me uh, read those again and then following. Acts 17, 28. The God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. 
Jesus is indeed at the center of all of life. He is the creator. John 1.1 1, 1 says that Jesus was the word, right? He's the word that was with God at the very beginning. Matter of fact, he was God. Jesus is the reason that creation was made. It is through Jesus that all creation was made. He is the redeemer of creation. He's the one who brought salvation. And again, he's the one who brings sanctification. He is the one who we will get to spend eternity with. Jesus is in the center of it all. All of creation is even dependent on Jesus. Without Jesus, we cease to exist. We cease to have breath. Our hope for each day is totally on Jesus, that he will choose to continue to allow us to exist and that he will give us something to hope for in the future, that someday when we die, that that will not be the end, but that will be a transition point for us to go into eternity. All scripture, the entire Bible points to Jesus. A lot of times, you know, as new believers, especially, we can struggle with the Old Testament. But even as old believers, we struggle with the Old Testament. What is all this stuff? In the, I just want to know about the New Testament. I just want to know about Jesus. I just want to know about that stuff because that's the important stuff. Don't get me wrong. That's really important. But the Old Testament is just as important. The Old Testament is pointing to Jesus as well. The images that are developed in the New Testament started in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, as we get to know the Old Testament, if we know the New Testament really will, well, we'll actually have a better and a fuller understanding of the New Testament. And if we understand both of the Testaments, we will understand Jesus. All of Scripture points to him, reveals who he is, and develops and, and, re, and creates an understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus indeed is the focal point of all of life. John 14, 6, he is the way to life. He is the truth of life, and he is the very life. More than that, Jesus is also the ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus has all authority, Matthew 28, 18, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to Jesus. He is the king of kings. All, all creation is under Jesus' rule. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm actually going to start with 14. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing... The law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, and thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. I am reading chapter 2. That's the problem. I'm like, this does not fit. This does not fit my message. Wow. That's a good passage though, right? I mean, that's, that's really, I probably should have just kept going and, and embraced it. Write that in my journal. Thanks. Yeah. You're so helpful. So helpful. Thank you, Jesus. 
That's why 15 didn't make sense without 14. All right, let's try uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians. Hey, look at that, Fitz. Uh, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is ruler of this world. He is sovereign. He is the judge, the jury, and the executioner, if you will. All creation is accountable to Jesus. He determines whether we live or whether we die. He is the ultimate authority, and we all are accountable to him, whether or not we believe in him. You see, the world we can, I've said many times, we we shouldn't expect or, or, or assume that the world who doesn't bow their knee to Jesus as Lord is going to live according to his will. Right? They're going to live according to their own will or whoever else's will that they're worshiping because they aren't surrendering to Jesus. However, even though they are worshiping maybe another God, whoever they're following is under the authority of Jesus. And so ultimately, they will someday be in the presence of Jesus. And they, according to Philippians 2, will bow their knee to Jesus as Lord, but not to salvation, unfortunately, to judgment. It's no surprise that the world rebels, but they must understand, and this is the motivation oftentimes of our our, uh, evangelism, our missions, is that they must understand that they will someday face judgment from Jesus. They are accountable to him. They'll be held responsible for whether or not they've bowed their knee to Jesus as Lord or continued to be autonomous and doing things their own way. All of us will someday recognize his authority. Hopefully, the hope for us is that we've done that already. And so when we do see his face, it'll be a face filled with love and smiling and joy as we get to enter into that eternal kingdom. So we have Jesus, who is indeed the center of all life and is the authority of all creation. He is the highest authority of the land. But he is also a generous king, a generous Lord who loves to serve his creation. Indeed, Jesus has given us the the whole concept of servant leadership. 
He came and served. And so because he came and served, we also serve with him. Philippians 2, of course, verses 5 and following. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, who though he was in the form God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but it emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by become, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We have a Lord who is a servant of all. He gives his life for us. He willingly came and died for us. He didn't have to come. He chose to come. It wasn't forced upon him. He willingly came. His life wasn't taken from him. It wasn't forced away from him. No, he chose to surrender his life. He came to serve. The example even he gives to his, to his disciples the night before his death is to wash their feet, which was the lowest of all servant duties. If you, you know, in, in a servant culture, right? I mean, the, the, the one thing you didn't want to do is, you know, in our day, it's like clean toilets, right? In, in his day, it was wash feet. Right? He didn't want to do that, but Jesus does this lowly task to serve his disciples and says to them, go and do likewise. That we all would be servants like he is, but he was that first servant. He gave his life and he gives us an example, an example of how to live this life. He lived by the Spirit. I, I love this reality that sometimes we, we, we struggle with this, you know, this union, this 100% God, 100% man. You know, okay, what is that? How, how, do we, how, do we, how do we see Jesus as an example? I mean, it's not fair. He's God. Yeah, he didn't, you know, give in to all the temptations, but he's God. So, I mean, no, no, no. We're, we're seeing that wrong if we think, oh, no, he's just, he's just God, so it doesn't matter. No, he was 100% man as well. He never tapped into his divinity while on earth. Instead, he was tapping into the spirit and by tapping into the spirit we have hope because that's the same spirit that we get to tap into and so his resistance from sin was not because he was god but because he trusted the spirit our resistance from sin is not again our strength and it's not because we're god or not god it's because we have the spirit we can resist sin when we zero our focus on jesus and trust the whole his spirit to give us the strength we need so he was an example for us, but he also is the one who gives and continues to work for eternity. John 14, 1, and 1 through 3 talks about this fact that he has gone and he is preparing a place for us. And then he's going to return and then he's going to take us there. We have a, we have a, a, a Jesus who is not just the center, not just authority, but he is generous and building us a future and developing a hope for that future in us. He gives us eternity. He has opened up the door for resurrection for all of us by his own resurrection. Jesus is working in and through our life every day. This is the challenge, I think, for all of us each day and each week and each month and each year, is where are we seeing him at work? I think this is so key to our being able to enjoy the fullness of the relationship that we have with Jesus. It's awareness. We need to become aware of the spiritual realm. We need to become aware of what is happening all around us, invisibly, 
all within us as well. We need to become aware of the voice of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. If we can understand that, if we can feel that, if we can recognize that, if we can know that, it will empower us each day. This is why Moses had the strength to come down off the mountain. This is why Moses had the strength to put out his staff. It's why Moses had the strength to lead his people and to strike a rock. It's because he knew and was aware of and trusted that the presence of God was with him. This is how we can do those things, is when we can recognize that presence. We have a Jesus who is working in and through us all of our life, every day. Whether we see it or not, it's happening. He provides for us, he empowers us, he inspires us, he directs us, he blesses us. Do you see it? It has been determined by the Father that not only will Jesus be the center point of all of creation, the central figure in all of creation. Not only will he be the authority of all of creation, not only will he be the generous one who gives and provides things for his creation, but Jesus also will be glorified. God has decided that he will receive all the glory. Jesus will receive all the glory. And it's because of who he is Let's look at Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And then when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Jesus is to be glorified because of who he is. He is God. He is the son of God. He is the son of man. He is the sacrificial lamb, the redeemer, the savior, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the bright morning star, the prince of peace, Emmanuel. Jesus is these things. And because of those titles, because of who he is, he is to be glorified. He is to be worshiped. He is to be honored above all other names. And it's because of what he has done, the fact that he is the key to creation, that everything was created through him, that he is He is life, that he is also there hovering over and caring for death. 
He is the resurrector. He is the one who serves. He is the one who loves us and desires intimate relationship with us and desires to bless us. It's because of what he has done that also is the igniter of his glory. He is already glorified though. May we understand this reality that whether or not we recognize his glory, Jesus is glorified. Whether or not we see it, whether or not we surrender to it, whether or not we enjoy it, whether or not we proclaim it, he is already and always will be glorified. He does not need us to acknowledge it in order for it to happen. He is these things. We glorify him so that we don't miss out on his amazing glory. We glorify him so we don't miss out on the things that he is offering us in his creation. It is God's will that Jesus be glorified. Are you glorifying him? Are you agreeing with Jesus' will or with God's will? Are you living your life recognizing that he is the center of everything? What is, the, what is the central focus for you? What is the thing that you're most concerned about? What are the things that create the most fear in you? What are the things that motivate you? What are the things that you get excited about? What are the things you get sad about? Is Jesus at the top of that list? He is the center of everything. Have you acknowledged that? Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. All authority in heaven and earth are his. How about in your life? Is he the authority in your life? Does he rule on your throne? Does he the one who sets the direction of your life? Do you wake up in the morning and say, okay, God, where are we going today? Or perhaps maybe, you know, and I like to do this too. Hey, God, I'm heading over here. Are you coming? It's a very different perspective. Is Jesus the authority in your life? Do you surrender to him? Do you bow down to him? Now, we do this in salvation, right? That's the whole point, right? To, to come to Jesus, to bow down, and to worship him, and to say, yeah, you're, you're, you're in charge. But do we actually live that way? Is he really the center of your life? Is he really the authority in your life? Are you receiving the gifts that he has to offer? Again, this goes back to, you know, complaining, I think, about our lives, Life is hard. It, it, it can be really sweet at times, and other times it's really difficult. Are we known for our complaining? Are we known for our thanksgiving? Are we known for pointing out all the things that we don't have, or are we known for pointing out the, things that we, the, the few things that we do have and how much greater they are than anything else that we, have, we don't have? Right? I, I mean, what, what is the, are you recognizing the blessings of being in relationship with Jesus? Are you focused on the things that the world say is really important? 
Well, you got to have this, you got to have that, you got to have a house, you got to have a future, you got to have good retirement, you got to have health, you got to have you know, all these relationships, and then everything's good. No. Do you have Jesus? Is that enough? Are you giving glory to Jesus? Is your life lived in glory and honor of his name? When you experience any kind of good, do you give thanks to him? When you experience any kind of bad, do you give thanks to him? Does he get the glory for the things you accomplish? Or do you? Is it just lip service glory? Eh, Jesus, you're best. But really in our hearts, you know, right? Like, no one can answer that but us. Is Jesus the one who gets the glory? There's been a long history for 2,000 years of revivals, reawakenings, if you will. The first one, of course, being a couple thousand years ago, right, in Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit comes down and thousands begin to come to Jesus. The early church exploded. After Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, the Holy Spirit comes and boom. But we also see other times, and there's a bunch of them. The Great Awakening, of course, in the early to mid-1700s. Guy named Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, John Wesley key figures in the Great Awakening. The second Great Awakening of the early 1800s started in some camp uh, meetings spread across the world and was the kind of the igniter of world missions. There was prayer meeting revivals in 1850s where two million people came to know Jesus in America and in England in a two-year period of time. Amazing. There was the Welsh and the Azusa Street revivals in the early 1900s. Five million coming to know Jesus in that couple of years. There was a China revival in the 1980 to 2000. After the missionaries were expelled from the country, they went from 2 million believers in China to 75 million believers in China. There's some news coming out of Iran even today that there's revival happening there. Despite that nation and the rulers of that nation and what they believe and what they're doing, Jesus is working. The interesting thing about revivals is that uh, we human beings, we love to break it down, especially post-enlightenment. We want to break it down, figure it out, figure out how it works. You know, we do this with the church movement as well, right? It's all about figuring out how churches work and how they grow. And so we've got it all figured out. We know how to grow a church. It's pretty easy. You know, we've got these 10 steps you got to do, or maybe it's 12 because it's disciples. It's a great number, right? So it's got to be 12 or seven or whatever, right? You know, anyway, so you got all these disciples, you know, think whatever. And they do the same thing with revival. And, you know, the revival, you know, we got to figure out, we got to break it down so that we can figure out how we can generate and create revival today. Matter of fact, over the last couple of years, especially, we've seen more and more people calling for and desiring revival in our country and across the world. That's a good thing, I think, to want. But there's too many world leaders that think that they can ignite it on their own. Think that they, if we just focus on the right thing, 
You know, if, it's, if we just focus on prayer, or if we just focus on preaching, or if we just pr- focus on reading God's word more, then revival will happen. But we have to understand that revival is ignited by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. That Jesus, being the central figure, is the one who determines these things. And he sends his spirit to to ignite our hearts into revival. Revivals are a movement of Jesus, a movement of the spirit, not a movement of people. But more, more so, we need to understand that revival is not about nations. It's not about millions of people coming to Jesus. Revival is about one person, and that's you. It's me. You see, we can pray for revival for our country, but that prayer is directed in the wrong direction. Because what we really need to pray is for revival in our own hearts. Revivals happen every day. Revivals are about getting our life in alignment with what is true. Jesus the center, Jesus the authority, Jesus the giver and the generous one, and Jesus his glory. When any time we do those things, that's a revival for us. If we've gone a period of time without doing that, then we need to get back to doing it. May God bring revival indeed in my heart. May he help me to recognize the areas that aren't surrendered to him. May he help me to recognize the areas where he is not the focus. May he help me to recognize the amazing blessings that he gives me every day. May he help me to give glory to his name. We don't need the nation or the world to awake. We need to awake. Awake to Jesus. And so it's good that we start this new year with 40 days of prayer that are focused on the theme of reawakening to Christ. May we each individually take this personally, take this seriously over the next 40 days. May we pray this prayer, Lord, revive me. Help me to see where I need to change. And not worry about the rest of the world, whether they change or not. May we allow this 40 days of prayer in 2022 to be the year where we become more fully aware of and enjoy more fully the relationship that we have with Jesus. No matter what happens in our life. Because understand that fully enjoying the relationship with Jesus oftentimes means that life has to get more painful. So it's not about our circumstances, it's about our hearts. And are we focused on Jesus? Are we focused in the right spot? Is he getting the glory? All right. Worship team, why don't you come up? We're going to transition into communion. I will note that we have the Comeric singers with us this morning. Wasn't that nice? Yeah. (laughs) Christmas thing. Yeah, it's a Christmas thing. So this morning with communion, again, we're going to invite you to come forward and receive the elements and take those uh, elements on your own uh, back in your seat when you're ready to after you've spent some time in prayer with the Lord. And the prayer is just simply this, Lord, reveal to me 
those areas that are not surrendered to you, that's not focused on you, that's not giving you glory. And help me, help me to change. But I also want to mention that, uh, again, you do not have to be part of this church to practice communion. You don't have to be a member of this church to enjoy this table with us this morning. If you have bowed your knee to Jesus as Lord, then you are welcome to join us this morning. I'll also say that uh, we recognize that some may not feel comfortable coming forward to receive the elements. And so we do have prepackaged elements in the back. Derek will help you to get, uh, get that if you would like to have those instead. You could just stay in your seat, slip up a hand here in a moment, and Derek will get that to you so that you can just partake there without having to get up. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians gives us this kind of summary of communion. And it's been actually, I think, a couple of months since I've read this, so I want to go back to it. Again, he's dealing with Corinthians who have actually not practicing it correctly, communion. They're kind of messing things up, and it's all become very self-focused and, and not about Jesus. And so he's like, reminds them, he says, no, 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 wait a second, this is what it's about. And he passes on to the Corinthians what he came to understand and know from his conversations with the disciples about what communion was all about. He says in verse, chapter 11, verse 23 and following, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Then Paul goes on and he says, for, often, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus, that he is the central figure of all of life, that he is the one who is in authority over all of life, that he is the one who has revealed to us how to live this life, and continues to give us all that we need. And he is the one who deserves all the glory. May we give him the glory with our life. Lord, as we partake of these elements and we remember, reminded of the things that he's done for us, namely the broken body and the poured out blood, may we receive what he's given freely and with thanksgiving but also, Lord, may we follow him in that, that we would now live lives committed to being in full surrender to him, to follow his lead wherever he goes, so that he will get all the glory from us and from our life. So, Lord, just be with us now as we partake. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Reveal to us those areas that aren't surrendered to you and help us to follow through this year, this day, this week, this month, again for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, may you be glorified in our life. As we surrender to you, as we recognize who you are, we allow you to rule in our life, 
as we become aware of all that you've done for us and continue to do for us each day. Lord, give us a bigger vision, bigger perspective of who you are, that we would be able to each day have the image of Revelation 4 in our minds. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumples and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as it were, there, there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around, and within and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you are create you created all things and by your will they existed and were created in Jesus name amen if you would like prayer this morning we invite you to come we have elders up front uh, and uh, come and pray with you please do so uh, other than that have a great day Merry Christmas and Happy New Year